yoga est invité à revenir à sa respiration. Ainsi, notre énergie collective de pleine conscience nous rassemblera en un organisme, coulant comme une rivière, sans plus aucune séparation. Laissons la sangha tout entière respirer comme un seul corps, chanter comme un seul corps, écouter comme un seul corps, et transcender les frontières d'un soi illusoire. Nous libérons ainsi du complexe de supériorité, d'infériorité et d'égalité. Yeah. 
Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, the 12th of uh, June, 2012, and we are in the Upper Hamlet during our 21-day uh, retreat. In Buddhism, we speak of uh, the seven uh, elements, the seven uh, factors of enlightenment. Enlightenment means... Uh, uh, deep understanding. In order to attain, to reach enlightenment, you need uh, six uh, factors. It's very interesting to, to see the Buddhist way of uh, approaching the ultimate reality. And one of the factors of enlightenment is the factor relaxation, ease. If you are not relaxed, if you are tense, you cannot touch the ultimate, you cannot uh, get enlightenment. So we always have to practice uh, releasing the tension and relax. When we sit, when we walk, when we uh, meditate, relaxation is is um, is one of the factors of enlightenment. Is and in Chinese, uh, it is written like this. This is a light, and this is a peace. You have the feeling of lightness in your body, in your mind, and you have the feeling of peace. If you don't have that, don't hope for enlightenment. <laughs> I don't know whether in science uh, people think of the same way. A nervous scientist, <laughs> a tense uh, scientist, uh, cannot, uh, cannot uh, find uh, the truth. And there is another factor called uh, factors of enlightenment. It's called uh, joy. Joy. This is uh, the Buddhist approach to uh, knowledge, to understanding, to enlightenment. You need joy. So, if you are a good practitioner, you should be able to generate joy. Otherwise, you cannot get enlightened. You cannot become a Buddha. Uh, you cannot get uh, the right, uh, right view. That is the Buddhist methodology, Buddhist approach. And then there is uh, the element called uh, mindfulness and concentration, of course. But here there is another factor that we call uh, investigation. Investigation. <coughs> With uh, what kind of mind? Can you investigate reality? 
and adopting what kind of uh, methodology? Can you investigate into the heart of reality? That fab? Investigation of, uh, of the dharmas. Uh, in science, this would be the objects of uh, physical science. Like a, a galaxy, uh, uh, the moon, uh, the earth, uh, the atom, it's the object of your investigation. You have to analyze, you have to uh, look deeply, you have to find out what is the nature of what is there. That is uh, the factor of investigation. But teachers in the Buddhist tradition, they, they remind you that uh, there is uh, a principle you have to follow when you do the work of investigation. investigation. They say that you shouldn't mix up uh, the phenomena and the noumeno. Uh, in the phenomena, uh, on the side of, uh, on the level of phenomenal, uh, you, you use concepts and words and descriptions that you cannot use when you approach uh, the noumenal. And this is uh, the Buddhist principle of investigation. It's called uh, the separate investigation, separate investigation of uh, phenomena and noumena. Phenomena uh, is uh, lakshana and noumena is uh, nature. This is uh, uh, in the realm of uh, ontology. This is uh, an ontological approach to reality. And this is a phenomenological approach to reality. And you cannot mix up the two kinds of methods. It's somehow like uh, classical science and modern science. The notion, the method you apply in classical science, you have to leave behind if you want to succeed in in approaching uh, 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 in 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 the realm of uh, quantum physics. If you cannot leave behind that, you have no hope in order to to get into uh, the, the realm of. Uh, quantum physics and understand. And this is uh, written in Chinese, Tan Tân Biệt Quang. 
Quang means uh, to investigate, to to study, to learn, to look deeply. And beard means separately. This is uh, the numeno, and this is the phenomeno, the ontological and the phenomeno. When you want to approach reality ontologically, you have to leave behind all these notions and ideas and words that you use while you, you investigate the phenomenal world. And this is very important in Buddhism because in Buddhism we distinguish two kinds of truth, the conventional truth and the ultimate truth. In the conventional realm of truth, you can speak of birth and death, being and non-being, you and I, time and space as uh, separate entities. And you can apply that kind of uh, knowledge into, uh, into technology and into your daily life also. For instance, every one of us uh, need a birth certificate in order to have an identity card and a passport. Without that, you cannot, uh, you, you cannot go anywhere. You cannot say that, well, my nature is the nature of no birth and no death. I don't need uh, a birth certificate. You see? So, so this kind of conventional truth does help. Yeah. And uh, in the in the in the ultimate truth, uh, we know that it's impossible for a cloud to die. A cloud cannot uh, pass from the realm of being into non-being. That is the ultimate truth. But when someone dies, you have to declare that he has died. You cannot say that well, he cannot, he can never die. He's like a cloud, so I don't need to declare his death. You cannot do that. So the, in the conventional truth, we, um, we make use of uh, notions of birth and death, being and non-being. Uh, you and I are different. Father and son are two distinct uh, persons. You cannot mix up. Although in the ultimate truth, you can see the father in the son. You, if you remove the father from the son, he can no longer be there. Right. So you have to separate. You have to practice uh, according to the principle of the Tantang Biakwang, the separate investigation of uh, the phenomenal and the noumenal, the ontological and the phenomenological. And I think uh, something similar should be observe inside. Uh, when you leave the domain of classical science, you have to be free of notions and concepts in order to be able to approach. Uh, because um, quantum physics has the, has the, has, uh, the willingness to knock at the door of ontology. They try to find out what is uh, the real substance of reality. 
the separate investigation of uh, phenomenal and noumenal. So when you speak of uh, God, you speak of uh, Nirvana, you speak of uh, uh, the ultimate, well, you should use a kind of language that is different. And you should no longer use the, the notions and, and words that you use when you speak of uh, uh, other things. Like, uh, like the notion of being and non-being, you cannot uh, use it in order to describe God. So the problem whether God is or God is not, God exists or does not exist, is no longer a problem. The ultimate uh, is free from the notion of being and non-being, uh, birth and death. So if we follow that, we can save a lot of time. We can save a lot of ink, and we can save a lot of saliva. <laughs> also. I think in the domain of science, many scientists make that kind of mistake, and in Buddhism also. Uh, even teachers make that kind of mistake. They mix up the two uh, dimensions of reality. When you speak of the Four Noble Truths, for instance, we know that the first one is ill being, and the second is the making of uh, ill being. The third is uh, the cessation of ill being. And the fourth is uh, the path leading to the cessation of ill being. And there are Buddhist teachers who describe the third, the third, the third uh, noble truth, Niroda. Nirvana. In terms of the ultimate. And they say that among the four truths, one belongs to the ultimate and three others belong to the conventional. And such teachers, they do not observe the principle of non, of uh, separate investigation of truth. There are more than one teachers. They, uh, and there, there are more than one teacher who, who, who explain the Four Noble Truths like that. And if we follow the principle, the methodology, we know that that is not correct. 
if we stay in the realm of uh, uh, conventional truth, we have to say that all four of them are conventional. All of them are Sanskrita Dharma, conditioned Dharma. Suffering is conditioned. Suffering is made of non-suffering elements. Suffering uh, manifests because there are many conditions that come together in order to have suffering manifest. And that is uh, the second noble truth. How elements come together and produce suffering, we have to look deeply. So both the first and the second uh, noble truth we have to examine them in, in the level of conventional truth. And the path leading to the cessation of uh, ill-being, the path of transformation and healing, the path that can replace uh, ill-being with uh, well-being, is also should be should be seen uh, uh, in the realm of conventional truth. Because everything is impermanent. Suffering is impermanent. And the cessation of suffering is impermanent also. The cessation of suffering means happiness. And happiness is as impermanent as suffering. Because in the realm of uh, conventional truth, everything is impermanent, is changing. So it, it should not be right to single out a third and say this is, uh, is non-conditioned dharma and all the other are conditioned dharma. You mix up the two, two things up. But when you, when, you, when you read the Heart Sutra, you touch the ultimate dimension, and they speak, they speak of uh, the Four Noble Truths in the language of the ultimate. They say that there is no suffering. There is no making of the suffering. There is no cessation of suffering. There is no path leading to suffering. That's the ultimate. So if it is conventional, and then all four of them are conventional, but it is, uh, if it is uh, ultimate, and all of them should be ultimate. In the ultimate uh, 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 dimension, we say that ill-being doesn't exist as a separate entity. Without the, the, the three others, ill-being cannot express herself. And uh, that is why looking at the Four Noble Truths with the insight of interbeing, there cannot be uh, ill-being uh, Ill if there is no being. Because ill-being and well-being, they are related to each other. It is with the materials of ill-being that you can fabricate 
be, uh, well-being, and etc. It is with the mud that we can fabricate lotus flowers. So both the mud and uh, lotus, they are on the same level. They are all conditioned dharma. But if uh, we single out uh, uh, the third truth and call it a unconditional dharma, uh, that is nirvana, we mix up and uh, we make, we can create confusion. And that is why uh, our dharma teachers in Plum Village, whether they are monastic or lay, they know that, uh, that uh, the third truth is linked with the first one. The first one is the presence of your being. The third one is the cessation of your being. It means the presence of, uh, of, uh, of well-being. And both your being and, and well-being, they are impermanent. They can change. And that is why on this level we say that since happiness is impermanent, I have to continue my practice. So that when happiness degenerates into something less than happiness, I can recreate happiness. You see, you cannot say that this is nirvana, that is unconditioned. It's very important. But the unconditioned uh, is hidden behind. If you touch that conditioned dharma deeply enough, you touch the unconditioned. You don't have to look for the unconditioned elsewhere. It's like a, a cloud in the sky. Touching the cloud uh, superficially, you see the cloud can be or, or cannot be. Can be born or can die. And we see the existence of the cloud, the non-existence of the cloud. Uh, we see the, uh, the birth of the cloud and the dying of the cloud. So that cloud belongs to the realm of conditioned dharma. And we describe our cloud in terms of being there or not being there. Uh, birth and death. As far as we stay in the realm of the conventional truth, it's okay, it's alright to use the word being and non-being, birth and death of a cloud. But when you, you want to go deeper, you want to uh, investigate deeper, uh, the same cloud, you touch more deeply and you find out it's not possible for a cloud to be born or to die. The cloud is free from birth and death, from being and non-being. And the ultimate is not something separated from the, the conventional. You don't have to, to throw away the cloud in order to, to, to obtain its true nature. You just touch it more deeply by removing all notions that you have of it before, and then you touch the unconditioned. So the unconditioned nirvana, the ultimate, is not something separated. It's like a, a wave 
suffer from going up and down, uh, is afraid of being there or not being there, of uh, being higher or lower than other, other clouds. So that kind of suffering are due to concepts, to notions, and discrimination. But once the, the wave uh, recognizes that she is water, and then she loses all these kind of uh, concepts, she loses all kind of fear and uh, anger and jealousy. And that is why going up, she is happy. Going down, she is happy. She is free from the notion of being and non-being, beginning and ending. And she doesn't have to go and look for water. She is water. So the ultimate is in the, in the conventional. But now we should go back to the <laughs> to the conventional. <laughs> uh, there is a sutra on our um, small booklet that deal with uh, the ultimate nirvana. Uh, we go, we will read it together some some time. But now we are approaching uh, the second noble truth, and uh, we know that we can describe uh, the second noble truth in terms of a path also, a path. If there is a path leading to happiness, to well-being, and then there should be a path leading to ill-being, a way of life full of discrimination, anger, fear, craving. That is the path we have taken. And that is why uh, the result is suffering and ill-being. So the path that leads to the cessation of ill-being, the path that leads to well-being, is called the noble, noble path, noble eightfold path. And this is also a path, but it's not so. Noble. The path of discrimination and uh, craving and anger is an ignoble path. And when looking into the first noble truth, we can see the path that has led Irving to come and you just Leave that path. You take another path. And uh, ill-being will go away and give place to well-being. So the problem is to change the path. And the five mindfulness trainings that we practice represent the noble path. And that noble path is based on the kind of insight called Right view. Right view means the 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 the, the vision of interbeing, the vision of uh, non-discrimination, the vision that can be free from notions like being and non-being. That is uh, the definition given by the Buddha himself. What is uh, right view? The Buddha said, right view 
is the view free from the notion of being and non-being and birth and death. So the five mindfulness trainings are the very concrete uh, path recommended by the Buddha. And we need uh, Dhamma teachers to, uh, to work on a manual. Mm, explaining to us uh, in details uh, the ground of uh, right view that's the, that uh, give birth to uh, the five mindfulness trainings and also the five mindfulness trainings. We need such a uh, material for our studies and 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 practice and teaching. And later on, we, we should give a version of that uh, book, uh, not in the Buddhist language, for the use of, uh, of, uh, of uh, so-called non-Buddhist practitioners, because uh, it is possible to present uh, the path, the noble path, not in Buddhist terms. Uh, our Dharma teachers have been trying to um, to bring this kind of practice into schools, and they have begun in many schools, and they have uh, been able to form, uh, to train uh, school teachers in order to bring this kind of practice into the classroom, and the result has been very encouraging. Uh, young people, they can learn and practice. And then they don't need to, to be a Buddhist. And uh, they learn how to, uh, uh, to bring their mind back to their body. You don't need to believe in the existence of the Buddha in order to do that. You bring your mind back to the body by the, the way of uh, mindful breathing. They learn how to, to release the tension in the body in order to have ease and peace. They learn how to, uh, to handle a painful feeling, a strong emotion. They, ha- they learn how to produce a joyful uh, feeling, a happy uh, feeling. They learn how to listen to the other person with compassion. They learn how to express themselves in the language of non-blame, no blaming, uh, the, the loving speech. They know how to uh, restore communication with their parents, their friends. All that can be taught to young people. And we need the school teachers capable of, uh, of, uh, of doing that for themselves in order to offer the practice in, uh, in, in, in school. Uh, one Dharma teacher of ours, Harvind uh, uh, Thaw, is now in Bhutan. Uh, he is invited by the Prime Minister 
to come and help uh, Bhutan with that kind of things. And many of our monastic and lay uh, dramatists are going to join him and help uh, uh, train school teachers, uh, uh, national uh, uh, community of school teachers in order for school teachers to be able to do that first. You should train the trainers. So the trainers can, uh, will train uh, all school teachers in the country. And when uh, we met uh, Governor uh, Jerry Brown in California, we also uh, talked to him about that. And he said that we can begin with a few uh, schools in California. And after we have demonstrated the effectiveness of the practice, and then it would be easier to convince other schools to, to follow. So we need, uh, we need many helping hands in bringing this kind of practice into school to help uh, the young people to suffer less, to help uh, teachers suffer less. <laughs> uh, if, if because, because if uh, the students suffer less, they will suffer less. And this is a project of uh, our Sangha. Please join us. And we need uh, uh, manuals to learn, uh, to help with the practice. So many of you are uh, teachers, uh, writers, educators, uh, please uh, meet and discuss about the possibility of providing uh, these kind of documents and environment in order to bring this practice uh, to school. And the five mindfulness standings can be entirely written in a kind of language that is free from Buddhist terms. Uh, terms like uh, right view, uh, uh, For noble truth, a noble path can can be translated into the the other non-Buddhist language. So we need we need you to help. We need members of the sangha to help the sangha. <coughs> but uh, the second the second noble truth can also be described in terms of, uh, of uh, nutriment, of food. And in fact, uh, Shariputra and the Buddha have done that. They have uh, described the second noble truth, not only in terms of uh, a path, but also in terms of nutriment. Because the Buddha said, this nothing can survive without food. Your love cannot last long if you don't know how to feed your love. Your happiness also. Your joy also. Because everything is impermanent. That is why you have to learn how to feed your love, your joy, your peace. And uh, suffering is the same. Suffering needs nutriment in order to continue. And the practice 
is uh, to look deeply into the nature of your suffering and in order to identify the source of nutrients you have used in order to feed it. If suffering does not want to leave you, if your suffering is always alive because you keep feeding it in your daily life. So once you look deeply and identify the source of nutrients you have used to feed your suffering, you just cut it off. And a few weeks later, your suffering will die. Because the Buddha said, nothing can survive without food. And he said something like this, what has come to be, namely your being, what has come to be? If you know how to look deeply in this, into its nature and identify the source of nutriment that has brought it in, you are already on the path of liberation. So that is about the first noble truth and the second noble truth. Looking into the suffering and identify the kind of food that you have used to feed it, and then you are halfway of liberation already. Suppose uh, this ill-being is a depression. If uh, the depression does not want to go away because you keep feeding it. In your daily life, you continue to listen to things, you continue to think about things, you continue to uh, uh, consume these things. And then in these things, there are, kind, there are many kind of toxins that can serve as food to your depression. If uh, your depression continues because uh, you are still uh, feeding it. And if you know how to change nutriment, if you know how to stop feeding your depression, it will go away in a few weeks. Conversation, for instance, is a source of nutriment. We are lonely, we want to talk with someone, and during talking with him or her, we get the toxins. Because what the other person says may be full of despair, anger, hate, and so on. So when you listen to the conversation, you bring toxin into your consciousness and your, in your body. And that is why mindfulness of speaking, mindfulness of listening is very important. Don't intoxicate yourself with conversation. The internet, for instance, is a source of nutriment. And you can get many uh, uh, negative uh, uh, kind of nutriment from the internet. You have to practice mindfulness in, pro- in order to protect yourself and protect your children. And you have to urge your children to, to practice the fifth mindfulness training, mindful consumption. Internet is an item for consumption. Music, magazines, books, televisions, conversations, food. There are all kinds of uh, nutrients that uh, we have to consume uh, with mindfulness.
And that is the object of the fifth mindfulness um, training. And that is the way out. If the society is sick, if so many people want to die, if, uh, if people are, um, try to kill each other, that is because of uh, our consumption. We consume toxins to nourish our anger, our fear, our discrimination, our despair. And that's destroyed our body, that destroyed our mind, and that will, that will continue to destroy other people and their mind. And that is why mindful consumption is the way. We should consume in such a way that, that, that retain peace and compassion in us, that can help uh, the earth uh, to continue for a long time. We consume in such a way that will help uh, maintain compassion and joy in us. And this is a, a very important teaching of the Buddha, uh, mindful consumption. Uh, we need uh, a book in order to, to teach us uh, how to consume mindfully. There is among us a professor of uh, nutrition, uh, Professor uh, Lidian Chin of Harvard University. She has uh, written a book with uh, Thai about um, mindful eating. She's somewhere here in the Sangha and she will give us a presentation <coughs> or two <coughs> about the practice of uh, uh, mindful eating. And today uh, I would like to, to, to elaborate a little bit on the prop, problem of, uh, of on the teaching of um, the four nutrients. There is uh, a sutra called the Sutra uh, of the Sun's Flesh, given by the Buddha. And in that sutra, the Buddha uh, talks about the four kinds of nutrients. And uh, he advised us to consume in such a way that can retain peace and compassion in ourselves and help build peace and compassion in the world. And the first source of nutriment is edible food. And the Buddha told the story of a young couple who fled uh, their country in order to take refuge in another country. This must be a true story. They left the country. They had to go through a desert. But they miscalculated. They did not bring enough food. So halfway to the desert, they run out of food. And they knew that they are going to die with their little boy. So they were in despair. 
And then finally a thought came, a terrible thought, to kill the little boy. So the couple can eat uh, the flesh of the little boy to survive. Uh, the, the reason like this is uh, stupid to die three together. So maybe it, we should kill the little boy and use uh, his flesh in order to eat and have a chance to, to cross uh, the desert. And then we hope to, um, to give birth to another child. So with that kind of uh, decision, they kill the little boy. And of course, uh, they suffer very much while doing so. The, the sutra is called, called the sun's flesh. kill the little boy. Each of them ate one morsel of that uh, flesh and kept the rest on the shoulder to dry under the sun. For tomorrow, another piece and continue to walk. This is tragedy. And uh, each day after having eaten a morsel of that flesh, they beat their chest, they pulled their hair and said, our beloved son, where are you now? They suffer a lot. But fortunately, they get out of the desert and were accepted as, a refugee, as a refugees in the other country. The Buddha must have heard that story directly or, or through someone. And there are stories like that happening, happening a little bit in the world. We have to eat uh, human flesh in order to survive. In Vietnam, there were moments when, periods of time when there was big hang, uh, hunger, and that happened. So after having told the story to the monks, the Buddha said, My dear friends, do you think that the couple enjoy eating the flesh of their son? Of course, the monk said, No. The teacher, it's impossible to enjoy eating the flesh of your own son. And the Buddha said, in that case, we should practice eating in such a way that can keep compassion alive in our heart. Otherwise, we are eating the flesh of our own son. And if we look deeply into the present situation, we will see that we are doing like that couple. There are so many hungry people dying every day. Tens of thousands of children die every day because of the lack of food and the lack of nutrition. Meanwhile, in our society, we drink a lot of alcohol, we eat a lot, lot of, of meat. In order to fabricate a piece of meat, you need a lot of uh, grains. And if you reduce the meat eating, 
by half and use the half amount of grain, you can save many, many children and adults in the world. So when we eat the piece of meat in mindfulness, you may see that we may see that we are eating the flesh of our own son. That little boy is our son. That little girl who died in Africa, in Asia, is our daughter. And when we drink a glass of alcohol, we know we need a lot of grain in order to make uh, that amount of alcohol. We are really drinking the blood of our daughter, our son, because we are not aware there is no mindfulness. And that is why in the five contemplations uh, of plum before eating, we know that uh, we say that we should eat in such a way that can preserve a compassion in us. Uh, reduce the suffering of living beings. And eating like that, not only you can, uh, you can preserve your health, but you can preserve your compassion. A person without compassion cannot be a happy person. She is completely cut off. Without compassion and love, you cannot relate to the world, relate to anyone in the world. You are completely cut off. And that is why, according to this uh, teaching, uh, we should uh, consume edible food in such a way that can uh, preserve uh, compassion in us. So we can, uh, we can refrain from eating the flesh of our own son and daughter and our mother, because the earth is our mother. We are not, eat, not only eating the, son of our, the flesh of our son, our daughter, but we are eating the flesh of our mother. And many species have already died, vanished. So this is uh, mindful eating, mm. the object of the practice, the fifth mindfulness training. The second uh, source of nutriment is uh, sensorial impression. And this is what you consume not uh, through the mouth, but through the eyes and ear and nose and body and mind. What we consume by the way of the eyes or the ear can be highly toxic. What we consume like uh, books, magazines, television, internet can be highly toxic. Even the news, the daily news, can be highly toxic. When Thay was in India last time, he was invited to be 
guest editor of the Indian Times and Times of India for one day. And I brought uh, many assistants to come and help uh, edit uh, that uh, uh, the newspaper that they, the Times of India is the largest uh, uh, weekly uh, of uh, India. As we were sitting around the table, editors, we received the news from from uh, from a state in India. Uh, uh, many bombs just uh, exploded, and many people died. Terrorist attacks, and one of the editors looked at Thai and said, "Dear Thai." What should we do in a morning like this when you hear that kind of terrible news? What a journalist, what a journalist like us, what a editor like us have to do and to react in a morning like this? It's a difficult question. They have to report the news. And if they, they are full of despair and anger, the way they report will harm all of us. So they did not answer right away. He sit there and practice mindful breathing. For one minute or so. And they said slowly, of course we have to report this news right away. But there are different ways of reporting. We should report in such a way that will not uh, create more despair and anger in people because they already have enough of that element in them. Uh, If you don't know how to report, uh, you will intoxicate people. Therefore, we have to practice breathing in and out and find ways to report in such a way that can help people have more understanding and compassion rather than more anger and more despair. And this is possible for a journalist. I don't know whether in school of journalism they, they teach this, but this is very important. While reporting on the bombing, you can help people to see how come such a thing could happen. What is the roots? What is the roots of that uh, ill being? You should report in such a way that 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 uh, that we can see the terrorist. How? How a person, how a normal person could do such a, such a thing? There must be a lot of despair and anger and violence and discrimination and hate in him so, so he can do like that. And so far no one has helped him to transform the anger, the despair. So you can report the truth, but you can help people to understand. 
And when people understand, the anger can lessen. They don't lose hope. They know what to do, what not to do, what to consume, and what not to consume in order not to continue with this kind of uh, uh, consumption. So, uh, Thay's answer that morning is that we should, uh, we should reflect. We should look deeply into the matter and we should report the event in such a way that will not increase the despair and the anger in the mind of people. Instead, we can help them to understand why it happens like that and help uh, their understanding and their compassion to increase. So, we can make a big difference with the practice of meditation, looking deeply. And, uh, and uh, uh, that, day, that day when I was invited to be guest editor of the Time of India was the day commemorating um, Mahatma Gandhi. Peace. And uh, what they said that morning was reported in the front page of uh, there are many articles on the practice of uh, nonviolence, uh, introducing the Brahminish practice. So when we read a, a, an article in the magazine, we consume. When we watch television, we consume. When our children watch television, go to the cinema, they consume, not by the way of the mouth, but by the way of the ear, nose, tongue, and so on. And we should consume in such a way that toxins would not be absorbed into our body and our mind. Toxins like craving, anger, fear, and despair. Advertisement, Publicity, they water the seed of craving in us. Craving for sex, for wealth, for fame, and so on. So that is why we have to protect ourselves. And how? By practicing the fifth mindfulness training, mindful consumption. So for edible food, before eating, we might breathe together and look at the food, at the food on the table to see whether they are sane, healthy or not. For the other items consumption like music, books, films, internet, we have to do the same. We know that can, what can bring toxins, and anger and despair into us. The fact is that uh, many of us feel lonely. We cannot face our loneliness. If you're alone, we lack love, we lack something like that in, in us. And we don't know how to generate love in order to feel ourselves with it. And when you are empty like that, when you have a vacuum in that, negative things can go in and feel it, and you suffer. And that is why we have to learn how to generate the energy of love 
understanding, compassion, and joy. And the practice helps us to do so. And the practice can be taught to children also, so that they can they know how to create joy and happiness, and not to go and fill themselves with uh, items that is full of craving and anger and despair. If uh, many of us get sick because we keep ingesting these kind of toxins, namely anger, despair, fear, and craving. When you consume a dharma talk, there's no toxin. In fact, there are many good things in it. Understanding, <laughs> compassion, and so on. So there are many healthy uh, uh, items for us to consume and we have to identify them and we, have, we help uh, our children to identify these uh, wholesome kind of uh, nutrients. There are plenty inside of us and around us. Walking meditation is also consumption. Uh, using the energy of mindfulness, concentration, it touched the beauty of nature. It touched the love of Mother Earth. Nourishing and healing, that is consumption. And the Buddha used the, the picture, the image of a cow with skin disease to illustrate this. There's a cow who has skill, uh, uh, skin disease. She does not have uh, skin anymore. And that is why when she lies down, all these uh, tiny creatures in the soil uh, come to her body and begin to suck the blood. When the cow approaches an uh, ancient world, and then tiny creatures in the world will come out and suck the blood. The same thing is true when the cow roll into the water. Uh, the small creatures in the water, they, they sense uh, blood, they come and suck the blood. So the cow is without any protection. So if you do not have uh, mindfulness of consumption, we are not protected. We allow these items of consumption to penetrate us, even if we don't want like uh, driving through the city, you consume. Because the advertisements are there. The sound, the sight are there. They, they just penetrate into your body and mind, whether you like it or not. You are forced to consume, even if you don't want to consume. The noise, the suffering, the craving, the discrimination, all these kind of things. Toxins. We have created a world of toxins. And that is why we need something to protect us. We need skin, good skin. We need uh, the fifth mindfulness training. We need the practice of mindful consumption. And mindful consumption is the way out.
because the world is sick, society is sick, and many of us are victims of despair and anger and fear. And the suffering of the mind brings about the suffering of the body. The suffering of the body brings about the suffering of the mind. Let us do some mindful movement together before we continue. You need uh, a little bit of space in front of you. <laughs> Breathing in, I shall bring my uh, my feet up, and my my tools will pointing to 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 the ground. Breathing in, breathing out. In, out. The other leg. In. together, make a V, and then I go up on my toes, breathing in, the heel touching each other, mm. in, oh. smiling, <laughs> in, Again, the first movement. In, out. In, out. Enjoy breathing in. Enjoy breathing out.
make uh, two circles with our hand, um, arms, breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. We draw a circle with our head. Half the circle, breathing in and breathing out. We go back in. That book uh, written by Professor uh, a professor of, uh, of uh, nutrition, Lian Cheng. But we need uh, more books on mindful consumption for the young people, and we can write in such a way that they like to read. I think we have to use their own experience of 
uh, and happiness and, and suffering in order for them to be to 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 enjoy reading a book. The third source of nutriment is uh, volition. This is a uh, this is the energy that helps us uh, to continue to live because uh, our life has should have a purpose. The energy that keeps us uh, active, alive, is volition. It's kind, it's kind of desire, aspiration. We have Bodhisattva called the Bodhisattva of uh, great aspiration. Shitigakba. Shitigakba likes to be with the people who suffer. And he, he chose to go to the realms of hell. Hell is a little bit everywhere. Sometimes hell is in our own family, our own community, our own nation. We are hating each other, we are killing each other, we are using bombs and guns to kill each other. We belong to the same family, or the same nation, the same community, the same race. So hell is a little bit everywhere. And Shitigapa Dietan is someone who would like to go to the, these uh, areas in order to help. It's difficult. You have to be fresh. You have to be patient. You have to be armed with non-fear. You come not to blame, but uh, to help uh, stop fear, anger, violence. You come to offer understanding and compassion. You know how to generate the energy of understanding and compassion. And you will help people in that area to do the same. With understanding and compassion, they will stop killing each other and making each other suffer. And that is uh, the desire, the volition of Shitigarbha. Shakyamuni Buddha also has a desire. That deep desire keep him active during the years of practice and keep him uh, on his path of teaching and helping. We need volition, we need the energy of desire in order to continue to live. Otherwise, he will want to die. People who commit suicide because they do not have any desire, the will to live, they have lost their elang vital. So this is a source of nutriment. And the Buddha advised us to get healthy kind of uh, volition. If uh, your volition, if your desire is to punish, to venge, and then that is not a good uh, kind of nutriment. The terrorist 
the deepest desire is to punish and to to make suffer. And sometimes in the name of God, in the name of love, in the name of social justice. If you do not have enough hate and understand uh, and uh, and uh, anger, you cannot be a terrorist. You need that kind of nutriment in order to be a terrorist. If you have true love in you, you have compassion and understanding, you cannot be a terrorist. Because you don't have that kind of nutriment that can make a terrorist. So a terrorist is someone who suffers deeply within himself. And so far, no one has helped him to transform the, uh, the energy of uh, anger, of, of, uh, of violence, of despair. So that kind of vision, that kind of looking deeply helps you not to hate the terrorist. And you may have uh, a desire to help him to suffer less. Because you have a good uh, volition, good desire. You don't want to punish even criminals, terrorists, and so on. If uh, you need to lock him up, you go ahead and look him up, looking him up. But that is done with compassion, not with uh, uh, intention to punish. So the the motivation should be should be good evolution, compassion, understanding. Sometimes you need strong measure, but but these strong measures is not. Uh, not to punish, but to help. There's love in it. In Asia, when you go to a temple, you cross uh, the gate of temple and you can see uh, two kinds of guardians. And one is very fierce. It's ready to strike you if you do something wrong. And there is uh, the other source, gentle. And both of them have compassion in them. Because uh, they look like they're very fierce, ready to punish, but inside they are, they are very compassionate. Sometimes you look very strong, uh, you look very fierce, but uh, inside of you there is only compassion. And that is uh, uh, the Bodhisattva of compassion sometimes behave like that. Uh, So we should not be fooled by the outer appearance. <clears throat> a teacher should be sometimes very gentle, but sometimes very tough. <laughs> <laughs> so Tai was motivated by the desire to suffer less and to help other people suffer less. He was uh, frustrated because um, of uh, the situation in his country. His father was a king, 
but helpless. The corruption in the government, but his father could not do anything. He had to lean on these corrupted people to continue his rule. And the suffering, not only in the in the population, but also in the in the in the government. And that is why Shinata did not want to continue. Did not want to be a politician, because if he succeeded to his, uh, if he's. Uh, continue his uh, father, he will be in the same kind of uh, situation. He will feel helpless. He will see suffering around him and cannot do anything because he doesn't know how to handle the suffering inside of him either. So there is an insight and a determination and a desire in him to practice in order to transform himself and after that help other people. That is a wholesome desire. That is a good volition. But if someone is motivated by the desire to kill, to punish, to destroy, that person suffers and makes other people suffer. And uh, if your desire is to run after more fame, more power, more sex, more money, and that can bring you a lot of suffering. Because there are those of us who uh, destroy our body, our mind, just running after these objects of craving. And they are not happy. So true happiness should be produced by good volition, volition good desire, and not uh, bad desire. So the practice is to sit down and look into the nature of our desire to find whether they are good desire, wholesome desire, wholesome volition or not. Because that is the energy that can, that can pull us, carry us into the realm of suffering or happiness. And this is a source of nutriment. And the Buddha goes very deep as far as uh, food is concerned. Evolution is a third uh, source of nutriment. And the fourth is uh, consciousness. This is uh, something like a collective energy of a group. And even if you don't want to consume, you consume. When you come to Plum Village and meet a group of people practicing <coughs> mindful breathing, um, mindful walking, uh, dealing gently with the body and the feelings, you feel a collective energy of uh, peace, mindfulness, and gentleness. And you consume. That kind of 
collective energy is very wholesome. And even babies, they feel it. They feel the energy of calm and compassion. So they are being nourished by that, even if they don't want to, to consume. But there are, there are environments when the collective energy is not like that. It's full of fear, anger, despair. And if you go there and stay for a few hours, you consume, whether you want or not. And you got a lot of toxins. That is environment. Collective uh, energy of consciousness. So if uh, you live in a environment where there is uh, plenty of hate and despair. And if even you don't want to hate, to despair, you will get it. And one day you will manifest despair and hate because you consume the consume of uh, the collective energy of a group. And therefore we have to be very careful. We have to look into our neighborhood to see whether the place we live is toxic or not. Because people living together in that place, together they engender, they generate a collective feeling, uh, a collective energy. And day and night we continue to, 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 to guard that kind of energy into our body and self. When you go to a room, to a, to a place, you may feel the energy positive or negative. When you sit close to a person, you can feel pleasant or unpleasant. Because he is emitting that kind of energy. And you consume. That is why we have to be careful to choose the place to live for us and for our children. The mother of uh, Mencius, Mantu, a uh, illustrious uh, Chinese uh, philosopher, Mencius, she lived in a, uh, in a neighborhood where the children did not get any education. And one day, her little boy came home uh, miserable. He, he just had a fight with the boys in, in the hamlet. And his face is full of uh, dirt and uh, blood and things like that. He was being influenced by the boys in the area. And she was, um, uh, she was working hard. She's weaving. She's making uh, uh, silk. And she saw him coming home like that. She stopped walking and she meditated. And after a few minutes, she resumed her work silently. And during that time, she, 
she will be determined to move to another place. She wants to work harder in the night in order to have enough money in order to move to another quarter. Because she knows that if she continues to live in this quarter, her boy will be spoiled. She did not have to, to tell his boy. So that, that, that story is recorded. So after uh, some time, having got enough money, to, she, she moved to a place where the children are neat. Mm-hmm. clean and more polite and so on. And uh, they, went, they, got, they went to school. And then the little boy also liked to go to the school. Imitate, ask her to the permission to go to school with other boys. And later he became a great philosopher. So the environment is very important. And if you say that uh, our environment is toxic, we have to decide like the mother of Manchus. We have to move away. We have to choose a kind of neighborhood that can provide us with a healthier uh, collective uh, energy. And this is what the Buddha uh, proposed. Otherwise, uh, every day we, are, we will be penetrated by many, uh, many arrows of, uh, of, uh, of suffering, of hate, of anger, of fear, of despair. I hope that uh, the, the, the sutra on, on the four nutriments will be available uh, in the sending book, sending book next time. It's a very important sutra. It exists in uh, Pali and in Chinese.